You can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 in Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and other fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his or Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. permeates all of our culture, all our relationships, our families, the church, unfortunately, and we probably notice ourselves, especially in our own families, is anger. I think before we we dive into this story, um, we need to know what anger is. I titled this Sin the Vile Separator. I wanted to name it, uh, it didn't really go to the point, so I didn't name it this. I want to name it The Angry Farmer and the Faithful Shepherd. So I thought that'd tie in with South Dakota, since we, we know what farmers are, but I didn't want uh, uh, someone to be offended that I was calling farmers angry. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, again, sin, the vile separator. So what is anger? Uh, one of the, a good resource uh, from seminary, uh, one of my teachers, Dr. Robert Jones, he wrote a book uh, called, uh, what is it called? No, I just got <laughs> 
Uprooting Anger, that's what it is, Uprooting Anger, probably one of the best books on uh, biblical, biblical counseling that I've read, right next to uh, The Dynamic Heart by Jeremy Pierre. Uh, definitely get those books and they will help you. But Dr. Robert Jones says, our anger, this is his definition, our anger is our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. This definition has a lot to it. So a whole person active response. What's that mean? So a whole person is our entire being is engaged in it. Yes, it is an emotion, but actively our heart is fully engaged. Our, our thinking, our desires, our feelings are there, but also it is an action part of that. So a whole person is not just an emotion. It's an active response. It is something that we're actively doing. We're not it's not something that we, we have. A lot of our culture, a lot of uh, psychologists say, well, it's something you have. Anger is something you have. You've got to get rid of it. But it's, it's actively engaged with the whole person itself. This is what the Bible teaches, that all people do anger, not that we have anger. We do it. It's something we do. It involves a negative moral judgment. So our anger is saying, what you did to me was wrong. It says, what you did is not just. It pleads, this injustice that was done to me must be punished. It is an opposition. So it's just negative. So you're in opposition. So if somebody's angry towards you, this is opposition. It perceives this is opposition. So if you're angry, you just perceive whatever is happening to you as evil. And some would say, Gary, that's kind of harsh. Why well, say evil? Isn't it just kind of bad? As you see throughout this text, that anger is evil. So Jones goes on to say in the same book uh, that sinful anger determines that all offenders must change. So if you're offender, the person who offended you, you're trying to justify your anger, you're saying that those offenders must change, be punished, or be removed. It, is, it issues mental death penalty verdict against the guilty. So a split second, you're issuing a death penalty. You should die. Be blunt. And it's not just, we think, we think of anger, we think of it's just, a, well, it's just all outraging. That's anger, right? But it's a lot more than that, a lot more detail. That's just one way. Outbursts of anger, conflict. Anger is always in marital conflict, sibling conflict. You'll find anger. Also, it could just be, I hear this a lot. I even hear, I, I, say, my, I say it myself. I catch myself saying it. I'm just annoyed. I'm annoyed at this person. I'm just ticked off. So we, like, we like to say annoyed because it feels like it's maybe not as bad off as anger. But noise is just another way that anger is expressed. In the English verbiage, we just use it because I think it sounds better. Eh, it's not that bad. It's just annoyance. It's not that, not that harsh. Or it could be a, a caustic stance. So it's like an acid. So caustic means like acidic. So it's like acid on a relationship. It's this stance you have towards somebody. You're angry, so I'm just going to be acidic towards you. 
this person's acidic. Or it could be some of that, we'll talk more about bitterness. Some that's deep-seated. Some that could be a, a certain situation, you got angry at them, and that anger turned into a bitter situation. It's deep-seated anger. More than you think happens in your life. It's probably happening. But there are all other, other opportunities for anger to be expressed. That's just some of them. So we have, there's human, unrighteous, sinful anger. And then the exact opposite would be divine anger. Or godly anger. So going off that same definition, our anger is a whole person active response. So even when God is angry, His judgment against evil is in a pure accuracy. So you go back to that definition, perceived evil. So when we're in sinful anger, we're perceiving something as evil, but that perception is not correct. It's misguided. Of course, God, being pure, undefiled, righteous, has a pure accuracy towards that evil because he's perceiving it as correct. Because his anger is righteous wrath against all forms of wickedness. It's pure, perfect, and holy. Opposition to that which is against his will and his holiness and his character. So when he is wrathful, you know, he's raging, it's against his, because something has been against his character, against his will, or something's trying to go against his will. So in that sense, it's divine anger. That's something we cannot have. We cannot be wrathful as God is wrathful. But there is something that's very rare, very rare. It is human righteous anger. So there's sinful anger that humans have. Then there's divine anger that we can't have. And then there is a human righteous anger, which is very rare. This imitates God's anger. It's our response to the evil that we accurately perceive as being evil. So that's again, accurately perceived as being evil. Majority of the time, you're not doing that. I would say 99% of, 99.9999% of the time, you're not perceiving what's happening to you as accurately as evil. According to the Word of God. That's the thing. We're perceiving it in that situation according to the Word of God. His will, His character, not our will be done, but His. Not our character, but God's. And this can only happen, of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Spirit, no person can have righteous anger. Impossible. Because it's reacting to actual sin with an accurate perception of evil. And it's always accompanied by godly qualities express itself in godly ways. So this anger, you think, oh, I'm having righteous anger in this situation. And all of a sudden you go off, you start screaming, you're raging. Or you just fly off the handle. Maybe you curse. That's not righteous anger. And it doesn't produce in some someone's self-pity. So if you're, you're angry at somebody, you think, well, I'm justified in it. And then all of a sudden you start going into yourself. Oh, I can't believe they did this to me. It's all about me. That wouldn't produce godly, righteous anger would not produce that. It doesn't produce character that's not in, in tune with God's character. So just, just remember that when we're going through this narrative. 
that there's three types of anger, biblically speaking. And uh, you'll see, you'll see. It, it'll make sense as we go through. So I hope you have your Bibles. As Scott read the text, open to Genesis 4. If you don't have your Bibles, please turn your phone on as long as you can avoid the distractions. So starting up in verse 3. So in the course, oh, sorry, verse 2. And again, she bore a brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain, a worker of the ground. So this is very similar to what happened earlier in the chapter before. If you go back to Genesis uh, 2.15, so let's turn the page. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. So Cain was basically having the same job his dad did. This is before the fall. Then after the fall, Genesis 3.17, and to Adam God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, and thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. So after the fall, even though sin penetrated, it's part of the fall, it's in Adam's heart, he's evil now because of the fall, there is still, he still has a job. He still has a job of farming. God didn't take that away from him. And that's key. Remember that. And as you go on, you read verse 3, In the course of time came brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of the fat portions. There's a lot of uh, thoughts out there of, of what is actually happening here. So an offering is like a gift. Coming to God, same thing. If you look into the Mosaic Law, gifts were, were offered to God for sacrifices. Grain, whether that be grain or an animal sacrifice. Each was susceptible. So, why would, as it goes on in verse 3 there, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of the fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So why would God have regard for Abel's and not Cain's? So we know again, like from the Mosaic Law, not just because he brought the fat portions and an animal, we know that's not the reason because grain offerings were still susceptible to be an offering to God in Leviticus, etc., Deuteronomy. You see that. That's not the case. Some other people might say, well, it says Cain in verse 3, it's in, in the course of time. So maybe, maybe it was a time thing. Cain just waited too long. That's not the case at all. God is not, uh, he's one that penetrates the heart. He knows the heart of the giver. He knows the hearts of the believer and the sinner. So this word that says regard, so in, in the Hebrew it really means favor. So God favored Abel. So why did he favor it? He went straight to the heart. He knows why, because in uh, Hebrews, if you keep your finger, jump over to Hebrews 4, 11, 4. Real quick. 
Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, by which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So it says right there, through faith. So the writer of Hebrews, which I think is Paul, he's saying by faith is why Abel's was shown favored upon by God. By faith. He came with faith. And I'm not sure. Yes, maybe uh, Cain had some pile of grain. Of course, we know from farming, it takes a while. You've got to plant the seed. You've got to wait for it to grow. And again, this is after the fall. So insects, disease, and everything else probably went after it. Weeds. Maybe you had a pile of grain. They didn't have corn then. Maybe some millet, uh, some wheat, ancient grains. He went there and scooped up some grain, just kind of willy-nilly. Kind of, okay, whatever. Here's some grain. Dump it on the offering. There you go, God. That was kind of hard. He didn't trust God. This is really what, this is kind of going through the motions. There's no faith behind it. Abel, though, he's like, oh, man. Let's get the best of the livestock. The firstborn, the first calf, the first sheep, the first... The first one we get, instead of keeping it for myself, let's go give it to God. So I trust God, He's going to provide for me. So there's a faith aspect there. It's not just what He gave, it's, not, it's how He gave it. It's the heart behind it. God sees and exegetes the heart. Cain's heart is definitely wicked, as you can see here. So what does God do? As you go on, we read, Going back to Genesis 4. But Cain, but for Cain, his offering had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So this word in the Hebrew, very angry, actually goes right back. You look at Hebrew and Zach translation of that would mean hot anger. He was mad. Raging, I would say is probably a better word for that. Hot anger. So he wasn't just annoyed. He had hot anger. He's very angry. His face fell. So the idea of this is self-pity. He kind of, which is, well, anger is too, but all this is a a fruit of pride. He's always looking to himself. Self-pity is like kind of looking at himself. Oh man, I can't believe this. It's all about me. God doesn't love me. He doesn't have regard for me. That's what he's thinking, all these lies. I can't believe he thought this well of Abel and his offering, not me. I worked so hard for this. He's thinking about himself. And of course, the, the misguided desire there is anger that came from that, and he did act upon that. So that's what's happening. That's, that's Cain's position, his heart problem. And it goes in verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? So God knew the heart. He's, this is a rhetorical question. Same thing that happened earlier. If you look uh, back, if you look back at the chapter before, when he comes to Eve, what have you done? He's given a chance to Cain to come clean. He knew what Cain's heart was. He knew what sin he was involved with in his heart level. He knew it. Because God reads the heart. He knows the heart. And then he goes on in 7, If you do well, you will not be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. So this eye of doing well, it's not a work salvation. If you do well, you'll walk in my ways, God is saying. You'll walk by faith. 
You'll come with faith. You're not going to come with a, a heart that's apart from me. And this idea of a fallen face, so acceptance of God, you'll have no shame. So a fallen face is like, I'm, shame, I'm in shame. But he's not in shame. If he comes with faith, with the right heart towards God, he will not have shame. This idea of a, a lifted face. So not a fallen face, self-pity, looking at yourself, but it's an upright, upright face. Because you're accepting of God. You know God accepts you because you're walking in His way and His will. And it goes on in 7. If you do well, you will not be accepted. So acceptance, no shame. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. So if you do not well, you do not walk by faith. You do not walk in my will. Not in my way. Sin is crouching at the door. So this, this idea of crouching, so it's about where you're like almost open the door and you see like on a nature channel, you know, a lioness already just creeping up behind this gazelle and ready to pounce. Or maybe if you haven't been to Africa or haven't seen Discovery Channel, um, you probably have seen a cat hunting a mouse, going along, trying to sneak up very sly and then all of a sudden pounce on him. That's what sin is about. You're about ready to open the door and all of a sudden this lion's about ready to just pummel you over, knock you over. And that's what sin, he's saying, God is saying to Cain, is gonna, this is going to happen. He's warning him. He has divine revelation right to him, which we do too, the Word. But he's like, this is, he's warning him. He's, he's guiding him to what he should be doing. He wants Cain to repent. He warns him. And it goes on, it's desire. So God says, desire is contrary to you. So the desire of sin is contrary. So it's against you. It's not for you. But you must rule over it. So if you don't rule over that, that opposite, it masters you. So if you don't repent from this, it's going to take you out. It's going to master, take it, be your master. It's going to master you. But you can rule over it. There is an option. He, he gives he gives Cain a way out. You don't have to continue in this anger and deep-seated bitterness. But as we know, it continues. The story does not stop there. We don't know exactly what Cain replied to God because it's not written. But um, I'm, I'm guessing since he was in anger and self-pity, he's like, I can't believe you, God. That, that's what you had to say to me. Why don't you accept my offering? And he went off. And the story continues. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. We don't, we don't know exactly what he said uh, since Abel uh, was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. Maybe he's out in the field. and Maybe he lured one of the sheep out into the, the field and said, hey, hey, look, Abel. Cain was saying, hey, look, Abel, your sheep's out there in the field. Go get it. I don't know. Maybe he stuck up behind him and killed him. I don't know. Or he uh, is like, hey, look, my plant has this problem. What do you think is wrong with it? And then he took him out. It was definitely premeditated. It wasn't something that all of a sudden just, he was really mad and just killed him right there. It was probably a, 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 t- a time frame between the time that God spoke to him and this happened. So in uh, looking, I looked this up, so I didn't know exactly what South Dakota law said. So I looked up what South Dakota law said on premeditated murder, what that really means. So it's first degree murder. The term means an intention or purpose or determination to kill or take the life of a person distinctly formed in the mind of the murderer before committing the act that results in the victim's death. 
So it's not something that just happened like that. You're sitting there, you're planting it. Cain sat there, I don't know, he's sitting in his field, probably sat there working, weeding out his field, thinking about this over and over and over again in his head. That's what bitterness does to you. It's deep-seated, it's in you. If you think about something that somebody did, your spouse did to you yesterday, if you're thinking about over and over again, that's bitterness. If your sibling did something to you and you're still thinking about it a year later, that's deep-seated bitterness. And if you look at uh, 1 John, if you keep your finger there in Genesis, 1 John 3.12. So way back right before Revelation. 1 John 3.12 says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So again, it looks at the heart. His intentions were evil from the beginning. And the same idea of, of uh, hatred and anger, we kind of think, well, Garrett, I've never killed anybody. And I don't, I don't think the, the writer of 1 John, I don't think John really thought that when he wrote this in 1 John, that he wasn't worried that the, the people that he was writing to were going to kill people, at least the believers. I mean, even bad people, unbelievers don't kill people. Only by the, the common grace of God that gives them, because we all have the same rage that Cain has, but by God's common grace, we don't go off and just murder people right and left. That's just God's common grace. But he was making a, a point that this is where anger can go and potentially could go. And at the heart level, if you know what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, he said that anger is the same as murder. Same level. That you're angry at somebody, you just murder them in your heart. Your spouse does something to you you don't like. And you're like, oh, I'm justified in that. You go down that road, you're angry with them. It's the same as murder. Same level. You will be judged on that. That's what Matthew 5 is, is talking about. Or the siblings. If you, if you, some of you in the back sure know young kids. You put two young kids together in the back of a van for a whole day long trip. Rage will happen. Anger will happen. That's where the parent goes in. Because some, some would say, well, where's Adam in this situation? Where, where's the father? Where's the mother? What, what the world's going on in this family? So sin is penetrating here, and Adam is not being a wise father. He's not guiding his children in the ways of the Lord. He's letting them go off and, and do whatever they want. So that's where the, the parenting is key here of parenting your children in the ways of God. You can see that clearly through the, the, the family of, of Adam and Eve. And this continues, because Cain's descendants, it just gets messier and messier. If you keep reading in, uh, in chapter 4 here. So as we go back to Genesis 4, so Cain spoke to his able brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against him, his brother, and, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? Don't you kind of remember this? Back when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, after that, God comes back to him. What's going on here? What are you guys doing? Where are you guys? Where are you guys hiding? Behind the bushes. Why is that? Same, same thing. So God's approach is the same. He's trying to give him a chance 
to fess up, repent. But God keeps giving him opportunities to change what he's doing, or at least fess up. And he said, and Cain said, I do not know. I'm my, brother, my brother's keeper. It's almost like in an arrogant way. My brother's a shepherd. He should be keeping himself. Why, why are you asking me? I'm, I, don't, I don't know where the guy is. Who knows? It's kind of an arrogant too. Like he, he should know God, the all-seeing God, who sees all, knows all, would know that, he, that, Cain, that Abel's dead corpse is bleeding out in the ground, out in the field. But he's like, I don't know where he is. And he goes on, and the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. In one sense, Cain's blood is crying out. So the same thing in Hebrews 4, if you remember, I read that. So he still speaks. So it says, Abel still speaks. So God is seen. So Abel's still speaking because his blood, his corpse is still lying in the ground in the field. It's speaking, it's showing the truth of what Cain did. It basically gives a guilty verdict, even though he's trying to avoid it. And now, and then it goes on. So in this sense, God is just and merciful. We can see this in the next sense. But Cain suffers greatly due to his unrepentant sin, as we can see throughout the last few verses. So God goes through a list so he's cursed, just like his parents were when they sinned. They had a curse, but so did Cain. And he said, and now you are cursed from the ground in verse 11, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive, a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. So he's cursed. The, the ground itself was cursed. Rejection. It's even worse than what happened to Adam. If you remember, you just jump back uh, over to 3, 17, 18. So again, I read that earlier. So what happened to Adam? So yes, he got kicked out of the garden. There's going to be sweat, tears, and blood it's going to take to grow crops now. There's going to be weeds that are going to be issues. There's going to be disease, insects. But God even went farther with Cain. He went so far that he was going to kick him out of his whole life. So God gave him a job of taking care of the crops. But he took him out. So no, you're not going to do that anymore. You're going to be a wanderer. You're going to go build cities. We know he started building cities in, in verse 17. So he's not even doing what he lost everything. He lost his life. He lost his connection to his family. All this through unrepentant anger, sin. That's why sin is a great vile separator. Also, he goes on, so the fruit of the ground is taken away, unlike Adam's in, in Genesis 3, and then he sent away an outcast, a wanderer. Cain's reaction. So what's Cain's reaction? If you go to verse uh, 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. So again, it's, it's kind of cliche here what he does. He's not a very wise man. My punishment is greater than I can bear. So instead of going to God in repentance, He's going right back to himself in self-pity. Poor me. God, I can't believe you did this to me. Even though he, he should know by this point that the sin is on him. It's his actions that got him to the point where he is now. And in 14, Behold, you have driven me away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. 
I shall be a fugitive and wander on earth. So he goes back in. You have driven me away. He didn't say, I drove myself away because my sin did it. He said, you did it. He's going straight to God in arrogance and saying, it's your fault. Away from the ground, from your face, I shall be hidden. So he understands the consequences of sin, but he's not willing to repent. Then the Lord said, not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. So he's actually, he's worried at the same time, instead of being repenting and worrying that the sin's going to do to him, he's like, well, my goodness, all I can think about is I'm going to be killed for this. Somebody's going to murder me, which I'm not sure who he's thinking about. Maybe Adam, maybe even Eve, because there's only two other people on earth at this time. There's not abundance of individuals. Maybe if his dad was going to take vengeance on him. Because in uh, tribal culture, especially after this point, usually the older brother would be the one who'd take vengeance upon somebody else murdering somebody else in the family. But again, he is the older brother, so that couldn't happen. But maybe he's worried too about the future. Uh, maybe other siblings, maybe Seth later, might come back and kill him. He's super worried about this. Instead of repenting and turning from his sin and coming back to the will of God. Then God says in 15, God shows so much mercy to Cain. And he does to us as well when we sin. The Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. Least any of you found him should attack him. So this mark is the same symbol as you go back to Genesis 3 when God put clothing on Adam and Eve. That was kind of the mark, the remembrance, this, this mark on Cain. We don't know if it's a, I don't know, a birthmark on his face. Something that people could see and know. They knew that this mark was re- remembering. Everybody could see it. They remembered what the sin did to Cain himself and also what it will continue to do in his life of the, unre- the unrepentant sin. So in Adam and Eve, God put clothing on them to cover their shame. That was a symbol of that. Same thing with the mark on Cain's face or where We don't know where it was at, but apparently somebody could see it. So, this, in, in, the, in the sense of this, Cain is so self-absorbed in his own problems, he avoids repentance. He, he starts out the story with, I'm going to come, it starts up in worshiping God. He wants to come closer to God. Then it ends with him being pushed even farther away from God because it's an unrepentant sin. God gave him multiple times to repent. It's like, okay, he's angry. He's enraged his brother and God too. It's not just his brother. And then by the end of it, he's being pushed away. And in verse 16, we read, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So even farther from his parents. His parents just got banished from Eden itself outside. Now he got pushed even farther. So sin continued to separate them from God. So then you might say, oh, Garrett, where's the hope? What's the call of hope? Well, as a Christian, there is much hope. The non-Christian needs to have an initial sanctification of is happening through the non-believer, is through having the believer, the non-believer needs to repent, turn from their sin, and believe in Christ, and, that, and God's Spirit can come in you and transform you, become like Him. So you remember our definition 
of anger is a whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. So even as a believer, you need to be in continual repentance. If you're not in continual repentance as a believer, that might show that you're not believing. There's an initial repentance and there's continual repentance. You must continue to repent when that anger, even as I drove here, (laughs) I'm preaching on this, I drove here, I came to the intersection, a four-way stop, people in Aberdeen don't know necessarily how to work that real well. And I was like, I came up, and this guy came up here right right after I did, and then there's a guy here waiting to go, so he went. And I was like, okay, now it's my turn. And he started going, I'm like, wait a second. No, I perceive that as evil. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> it just hit me in a split second. I was like, goodness gracious, I'm going to preach on this. And I just, I just got annoyed at this guy, because I'm like, okay, okay. It's quick repentance. As soon as you can, you can feel it. I'm like, just because I'm tired doesn't mean you're justified in anger. You're tired because you're, you're taking yourself off guard. You need to be continually remembering that sin is crouching at the door. Anger is part of that. Your, your kid does something to you and all of a sudden, well, I'm justified. I'm going to be angry. I can yell. My wife puts the toothpaste in the wrong position. That justifies bitterness. I mean, it's just—it's silly how crazy sin is in our lives, and we just let it go rampant without repentance. So yes, there needs to be a, a repentance between, because sin is not just between you and the person you're angry with, potentially, but it's also and more ultimately against God. That's why we need to repent quickly. And I might be asking for forgiveness. If you yell at your wife, you need to go quickly and repent. Ask for forgiveness. Go to God first, vertical and horizontal. And go to your spouse and ask for forgiveness. And if they're a believer, they have to forgive you. Otherwise, they're in sin. So yes, you've got to repent of the behavior of anger and bitterness. Because anger is an outward sin against others and against God. So not just repentance, but we need to believe. We need to believe God's Word is true. Because you can turn from something, but then what do you replace it with? You've you got to believe. you got to believe as a believer in Jesus Christ. You're not a slave to sin. You're not a slave to anger. You don't have to be angry. Some people say, oh, I just have to do it. No, you don't. You don't have to be angry. Through the, the blood of Christ, we are sanctified. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in newness of life every day. We can be reconciled with those who we angry against, even if they're a non-believer. We can come to them. And that's a great way to show the gospel, revealing how much of a sinner you are. They can see that, and maybe they will humble themselves and the power of the Holy Spirit will come in their heart, and they will repent as well and come on the road with you of sanctification. And also, so repenting, believing, and replacing. We have to replace it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in newness of life. We can walk with the, the fruit of the Spirit. Because God's Spirit will cultivate in us His desires, proper thinking by the saturated of the Word, by being saturated in His Word, proper desires by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do that. We can act in a way as in accordance with the Spirit. We don't have to walk in accordance with the world, which is what Cain was doing. So you've got to recognize your, your failure quickly without self-condemnation, knowing that before Christ we are forgiven, we can be forgiven in repentance.
But don't grow tired of repenting quickly and do it on a regular basis is key to battling anger in your own life. So don't be like Cain and repent. Repent quickly. So with all that said, um, there's much more going to be said about uh, the hard issues behind Cain. Self-pity is one, but God exegeted his heart and said apparently anger and self-pity was the big issues. So we, it's easy to come at somebody, especially somebody we know, I can get an A on a theology test, no problem, but exegeting, understanding somebody's heart is way harder. And I've been humbled massively by that. Something I'm very uh, appreciative of Southern Seminary, going through biblical counseling, understanding it's easy to exegete Scripture, in essence, some of it, somewhat. And it's, it's much harder, though, to exegete uh, someone else's heart, what's happening in the situation, your spouse, when you're angry. As a husband, we can lead them in that. But there is hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word, how it penetrates our hearts, how the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be free. We can walk in newness of life. I pray that we would repent quickly when we sin, that you would convict us of our sin quickly, your, your spirit would, and that by the washing of your word, we would walk in newness of life daily. Um, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.